Hey guys, welcome back to the Moms Talk Autism podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, we have a therapist on with us, so sit tight and we will be right back. When you become a mom, you never imagine your child getting an autism diagnosis. It feels like your dreams have shattered, like a framed photograph falling off your mantle, exploding into a thousand pieces. But instead of trying to glue those pieces back together, this community of moms is here to help you build a new dream, a better one. So join in the conversation as us moms talk autism. All right. Hello, hello, hello. Today, we have a guest with us who is super amazing. I don't even know her that well, but I already love her so much. Um, I am your host today, Tosh and Brittany. Brittany, say hello. Hello. Okay. So our very special guest is my son, Jax, new occupational therapist. Her name is Sharon Petty. Good morning. It's so fun to be here. <laughs> so we wanted to do, I feel like we wanted to do an episode like this forever, right? Right? Yes. Have a, it's like occupational therapist is probably the last therapist to be on the podcast yet, right? We've got a couple, I mean, there's lots of different therapists, but we have not had yes, an OT had on an yet. OT yet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it just, I feel like it worked out perfectly having you come in and meeting you this year and you being brand new to Jack's life and me just being like, yes, this lady is doing the work. So wow, this is really a joy and a pleasure. And I love the field of occupational therapy so much and I love talking about it. So yes. And she's a first, she's a, this is her first time podcasting, everybody. Yes, first time. So, uh, so we, why don't you, yeah, go ahead, Britt. I was just going to say, we're just overjoyed to be your first. Yes. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I we had love being, We love being people's first. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Um, so share with us a little bit about, um, probably just about your background, like how, how you got into it. Um, yeah. Well, where it all started. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I love, um, well, I, growing up, I knew for sure that I was a medically minded person. I really have always enjoyed the field of medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've always enjoyed just working with people. So, um, my parents kind of encouraged me in my high school years just to pursue an allied health profession. Um, and originally I went to University of Washington and started um, in a program to become a speech and language pathologist and really thought that speech was going to be my thing. So I started um, as an undergrad, just getting some hours and um, of ob observing the field of speech. And I happened to be in a multidisciplinary clinic and I saw an OT working and a PT working as well as speech. And when I saw OT working with kids, I was like, oh my goodness, that's it. That's mm -hmm. what I want to do. Okay, so, so I, really quick, I'm gonna pause you. Yeah, what you said? Uh, what kind of a multidisciplinary? Disciplinary. Tell me what that clinic. is, really quick. Okay, yeah. So multidisciplinary clinic would be a clinic that you would go into um, with a speech therapist, an occupational therapist, physical therapist, mm. maybe even mental health therapist, but um, generally speaking, providing um, services mm. for people that are, you know 
needing rehab or um, any kind of child that is developmentally delayed and needing support in that area. Okay. So, so kind of the full, full, the full, full yeah. gamut. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Continue anyway, <laughs> so I headed in the field of occupational therapy and went to University of Washington mm-hmm. and um, just kind of fell in love with the field as I got into my program. Um, it's such a blend. OT is so practical. My job is to solve everyday problems, mm. to come in and look at a child and what they're doing in their natural environment and say, what can we do to reduce the barrier? What can we do to give this child access yeah. to his or her world? So super fun field. It's a blend of medicine, of psychology. You're working on just a lot of self-regulation. That means like being able to hold yourself together to get through situations. Um, you're working on all the things that are occupations in our life, things that we need to do to function in our life. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm sure it's very clear to everyone, but I just want to make sure OT stands for occupational therapy. PT stands for physical therapy. There's speech. And SLP is a speech and language, language pathologist, like all those lovely little acronyms that we love to just throw out. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And that would be the multidisciplinary team. And the right. fun and joy of working on a multidisciplinary team is that we all come in with a slightly different angle and yeah, viewpoint, perspective, yeah. perspective looking but, at things, but we all join together and put our heads together. And then we come up with this fantastic you know, plan to support kids or individuals. So mm-hmm. super fun. And I love being on the team. So. Um, I, 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 it's kind of like for those of us who have our, you know, maybe a little bit further in our journey with our kiddos. Um, I think back to like when Jack was doing, you know, when he first got his actually previous to getting his diagnosis, but he, um, uh, you know, got into, we got him into occupational therapy, we got him into speech therapy and they're all at different places. So mm. trying to kind of like bring that yes. all together, you know, sound, it, I mean, it sounds so wonderful when you talk about like, oh, all these therapists are working together in this one place. And usually that's not the situation, you know, Correct. so like, um, yes. um, it, it was, and there's definitely not fighting against each other because everybody's doing different things, but like to be able to kind of bring it all yes. together, bring all the therapists together, especially, you know, once our kiddos get into, the school district. Yes. Because then they have, you know, they're probably occupational therapy and speech therapist within the school district. So yes. um, it's kind of crazy to think about like some of these people who are in the beginning portion of it, you know, and they are doing therapy everywhere. They are. Yes. Right. And, you know, some families might be doing early intervention, mm-hmm. birth to three services, which now really take place most of the time in the home. In the home. Yeah. In the natural environment, which is super fun and cool because then um, you're able to learn mom, dad, grandma, caregivers, whoever can learn all these strategies to implement and carry over and generalize mm-hmm. throughout the day, which is really our goal, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, so that's kind of cool how early intervention is happening in that natural environment. But also that some, depending on what state you live in, you might have birth to three developmental centers that offer preschool services and therapy services. Um, and then there always are those clinics that have the multidisciplinary um, services. I got to say, I do both a private practice. I have my own private practice that I do, but I also work in the schools. The schools is so fun. 
because you're there with all your people, with all your team, mm, with yes. the kids. You're there in the action every day, seeing where <laughs> it's all happening. And you get to try things and you get to work together with your team. And, you know, you've got it, you get the parents involved. So uh, the schools is really so fun as an OT. I love it. So really quickly on that, since you do, since, I mean, and I don't know if this is common for a lot of therapists to do it in the school district and then out to have their own private practice. But um, do you see, are you seeing kiddos from school or is that like a separate? I, I do keep it separate okay. um, because I do think that There's it, a, it's just ethical to yeah. keep those two services divided. So I don't work with students who um, are on my caseload yeah. or that I, I work directly with. Yes, I, I really um, recommend going elsewhere, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, but um, just because school therapy and uh, private therapy are two very different types of therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, school therapy, and this is something that's really important as you have a child that's starting into school, a lot of times parents will think, oh, well, we're going to stop outside OT because we're going to start school and show my child will get their therapy at school. And that is true that your child might qualify to get services at school, but school therapy is really directed at access to education. Education, yes. So it's yeah. a very different model and versus private therapy, which um, kind of spills out into, you know, all ab- areas of life that might look more like self-care or, um, uh, you know, look deeper into sensory processing. And um, and we can talk about sensory processing in a little bit because that's kind of a hot buzzword um, for families with children that are on the autism spectrum. Yeah. So. so Brittany, I have to ask really quickly, you did, did you guys do the early intervention with both Ruby and, um, okay, you did. With Austin, yes. Yeah. With Austin, did. And you did it in the home. And we did early intervention is in the home here. I think it has a lot to do with, you know, services available in your area and all that kind right. of stuff. Yes. I live in Northern California. And so we have an early intervention program and um, it is primarily done in the home until three years. There are yeah. programs um, specifically, I, I took actually both Austin and Ruby did participate in outside programs, but OT, we never did any OT in a clinic before they started school. Um, okay. And that's just how it just ha- is here. Um, yeah. It's kind of set up that way. But um, I would love to hear, Sharon, what are, can you talk me through like a typical day of a, a typical OT session at school and yes. then a typical OT session um, in your private practice? And I just uh, want to hear yeah, that's a great question. the differences. That's yeah. a great question. Um, okay, so I'm going to start with <laughs> that. I'll unpack this. So in the school, um, you know, it's very individualized for every child. Individualized educational plan, IEP, IEP, right? and that's when we all come together and we discuss our goals and how we're how we want to proceed, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, like, well, can I talk about Jack mm-hmm. Tosh? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so. Um, I so Jack, uh, Tasha's son Jack, he is fourth grade, and he is in this classroom with this fantastic teacher. Oh, Mr. Come Smith. on, Mr. Smith. We're giving a little shout out to Mr. Snacks Smith. For Mr. Smith. <laughs> we love him. He is fantastic. So, and he is one who is so fun for me as an OT to collaborate with because he truly wants to work together. And our goal in his classroom this year for um, many students, including Jack is to help these students to um, 
to learn about tools that might help their brains and bodies to be more ready for learning, mm-hmm. to access learning. Okay. So for instance, Tosh, sometimes you're Jack. We need to kind of yeah. get wake him up like, Jack, <laughs> we're here. Let's go. You know, we're join the group. Join the group. Yes. Let's yeah. go. So this year, um, Mr. Smith and I have collaborated and we are doing every Monday morning, I go in and I do a zones of regulation. Zones of regulation is a self-regulation curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's helping students identify their emotional zone and kind of like their internal sensations and feelings associated with those zones. So if you're draped over your desk and just like really sleepy, we teach, oh, you are in the blue zone. You must be feeling tired. Mm -hmm. You know, did you not get sleep? What do you need to wake your brain and body, your brain and body up to be ready for learning? Mm -hmm. So on Monday mornings, that's what I do in the classroom is a whole group activity, um, a self-regulation group. And this is kind of crazy, but all these kids also have handwriting goals. So I mm. incorporate some fine motor into our self-regulation group. So we might do a little zones check-in where um, I will hand out um, a piece of like adaptive paper. Um, an adaptive paper would have some lines on it to give students some visual boundary and guidelines for where to place their writing because a lot of our students with ADHD and attentional difficulties have some um, difficulty with um, visual perceptual tasks and things like legibility of handwriting. Mm -hmm. So we might incorporate some fine motor handwriting um, uh, goals into this activity of writing. This morning, I am in the and then the, are you in the green zone? Is your brain ready for learning? Are you in the red zone? Are you mad, feeling angry, you know, things like that. So we do a little written handwriting activity to um, identify what zone we're in. Mm-hmm. Then I have the kids go through and they lead um, their own. They can choose. We've done a series of um, toolbox activities. For instance, Jack always leads jumping jacks. Of course, of he course. does. <laughs> and so he leads the group in jumping jacks. We roll the dice. It lands on six. Jack knows he's going to lead the group in doing six jumping jacks, and he's going to count and lead the group. And they all are developing these wonderful skills of leading mm. and um, getting their peers to join them yeah. and engaging with their peers. And it's super fun. Okay. Because- so I, so this is like, I'm hearing, sorry, I'm, I'm, I got to always pause and just so yeah, yeah. the audience can kind of, so I'm hearing it is like that the, um, the part of connecting with peers, feeling yeah. that comfortability of being and being a leader and, and using your voice, but also now we're, we're joining the the, the large, the group, the group, yeah. but then also the large motor yes. skills. Okay. Yes. 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 Okay. So we are encompassing a bunch of different goals. The child might have self-regulation goals on their IEP. They might have fine motor goals. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have um, uh, goal adaptive goals where they're working on um, working with a, a peer or getting help or um, sit, stay, saying what they need, mm-hmm. you know, if you need a sensory tool, like I know I need coffee in the morning, but I can get it. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So helping kids learn what to get what they need. So we are really like OT in the schools. If you can like think creatively 
to um, incorporate all these things into, into one, yeah. a session, yeah. you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Yes. So it looks very different than in the clinic where you might be I, in when I work in, in private practice, I use a lot of a coaching model. So mm-hmm. I really like families to join in a lot into the session because there's nothing I'm going to do in 60 minutes in my OT room um, that's going to change the child for the rest of the week. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, like yes. we need to work together to like, be like, okay, let's try this. You know, at home, if your child's needing deep pressure, mm, let's see, what kind of um, cushions do you have on your couch? And how do you feel about, hmm, you know, playing in the cushions on your couch yeah. and steam and rolling steam and, rolling. and <laughs> how are you with that? Cause yes. that, that might not fit the family culture in some houses, but right. in other houses, you know, people might love it. Yeah. People might love it. Yeah. So I do a large amount of that kind of like coaching problem solving. And I use a lot of play because mm. a child's main occupation really is. aside from school is play. Yeah. And children, um, autistic children, their play looks very different. I don't want to say that they don't know how to play. I'm not going to say that because their brain is how yes. their brain was made. Yeah. So their play just looks different than what, what a typical, what a yeah. neurotypical person's yeah. play looks yeah. like. So I use, I draw a lot from the floor time model. And if you want to, if anybody is curious, look up floor time. It is the most beautiful model of engaging with your child through play and then they start to, and then you start building on all these strengths as they expand in their play and they build in their social emotional capacity and their motor planning as their play expands. So mm. anyway, two very different so good. models. So, um, and then just really quickly, I want to say, you know, I, I think now to like when Jack was in <clears throat> occupational therapy um, in the school district, but still outside of school but at a younger age, mm-hmm. what he did then versus what he did now is obviously very, very different. You know, when he was younger and first diagnosed, we're talking about um, a lot of the fine, oh yeah, fine motor skills. Yes. You know, so it's like just being able to have like what most of our kiddos don't have. You know, is that that pincer grip Absolutely. or um, you know the capability of stacking. Yeah, you know, putting blo- things in and out, taking things um, in and out. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to a quick note about that because Mr. Nick, who used to work with Jack, you know, that right. was a lot of um when Jack was earlier in, in the preschool, school. Yeah. In preschool and in like, you know, kindergarten, first grade, Mr. Nick was doing, you know, very different. It was a lot of one-on-one. There was a lot of classroom work. Yes. But a lot absolutely. of um, one-on-one in the occupational therapy room. Yes. Yeah. And I will have to say, you know, like I work with um, so one student I have has all social goals on his IEP, social emotional goals. So I go in and they're like to engage with a peer, to share with a peer, to so I go into the classroom during their free play time. This mm-hmm. is a kindergarten student, and I support the child during that um free play time where I'm actually modeling and kind of um um helping the child to initiate play interactions with peers Mm -hmm. in the general education classroom. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a big um, continuum of how services are delivered in the schools. I'm a big advocate for pushing in to the general education setting because it's the least restrictive environment when it's appropriate. Um, And it allows, it, it allows the child more opportunity to practice a skill in that normal, you know, typical setting yeah. um, where you want them really, 
your goal is to have them in that setting as much as possible to the degree that it's serving them well. And so it's fun to go in and then the teacher sees the strategy you're trying. You can engage with other peers and draw them in to interactions. And, you know, like yesterday, I went in during an art lesson into a first grade classroom and I, the whole table, you know, we, I was working with one student in particular, but I definitely, I engaged with all the peers because, you know, we're in a school community. Like, so that's part of, you know, creating a little culture for that student you're working with to be able to engage with their whole community. Yeah. So I love it. That's something that we talk about a lot on, um, on the podcast and we are, most of us are well, not most of us, all of us are firm believers in the, you know, inclusionary and, and we, um, that's not with, you know, not having the understanding there. We have the understanding that there are situations like, um, Brittany's son, Austin is in a school particularly for autistic children and that there are some kids that have that, you know, they need, they need, yes. A different environment. A different environment. But, you know, if we can, Yes. When it works, then we want to go to least restrictive environment, which I think is always hard for parents. And if you're on the podcast right now and you might be able to identify with, you go to the IEP meeting and the the therapist is like, oh, you know, I think we're going to, I really recommend pulling back to do, this happened with Jack, okay? Um, Tasha's son. So I called her and I was like, I just want you to know where Jack's at. We just did his three-year reeval. And um, for occupational therapy, I mean, he's come so far. This mm-hmm. is so amazing. Mm-hmm. And really at this point, I really think a consultative model would be best for Jack because we really want to start preparing for middle school and getting all those strategies out and using them in the gen ed um, environment yeah. as much as possible and getting him really comfortable in that setting. And and so, and Tosh was so awesome because she's like, I love this yes, is when this is but, when I fell in love with her. But yeah, this is when I, was <laughs> I like, can oh, see why. Okay, I like you. I already know. <laughs> but a lot of times, parents are like, "But wait, no, don't take away the one-on-one." And I get that because yes. we really don't want our child to like to if they're doing well. We in our minds we're like, wait the reason they're doing well is because they have this level of support. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it is, it's a dance and it's such a communication dance with the team yeah. to really like yeah. communicate well and not feel like threatened by one another or frustrated with one another, you know? And so it's super um, important to just keep that good communication yes. flowing Ooh, for sure. Amen. Yeah, yeah. I have an example of this. That's not, in particular to OT, but with, with my daughter, Ruby, who's the same age as Jack, um, she does an inclusion program at her school. So she spends a portion of her day in gen ed and a portion of her day in a special needs class, depending on what they're working on. Mm -hmm. And, um, we recently have been trying to get more time in the gen ed class. And we thought we would start with, um, one of her strengths, which is her math skills. Mm-hmm. So um, they do a morning math session every day in the gen ed class where they're working on reviewing uh, multiplication and, you know, some other math, you know, just, uh, you know, your your basic math stuff. And you work in a group. So everyone, there's a problem up on the board or whatever. And then everyone in your little group works on the answer together. And then you, you know, and, and it's just a little like warm up for the math um, section of the day. And we thought, let's, let's have Ruby try that. Let's, that's a way to introduce her. Let's see how she handles it. 
And because she has the, she understands the concepts, it's about now implementing them, right? So we started her in there and it was very clear pretty quickly that it was not a good fit uh, for her to do it there because the pace of how they, how quickly they were doing the math equations, it was a little too fast for her. And she started getting frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, when, when our kids get frustrated, just well, any kid gets frustrated, you shut down and you yes. can't. You can't really learn. We all do that, right? Whenever when any of us get frustrated. So um, we uh, recently just had our parent-teacher conferences, and we've decided to to take her out of that little morning math routine and do that in her, in her special ed class, do the same problems and the same things, but with more support. Yeah. And then we're going to give her a little bit more time and then maybe reintroduce it again. So I just want to highlight that as, as something when Perfect. people are scared to maybe try something new or go to that next step. If it doesn't work, if you have a good communication with your OT or your speech or your teachers, you can always go back. Like it, it's not yeah. like... Once you do that, oh, yeah. you can't ever go back. Like it, it's, yeah. it's okay to to maybe take a step out and to test it. And if it's not feeling good, okay, well let's let's go back to what we were doing before and we'll reevaluate. So yeah, correct. The yeah. IEP is a fluid document. I mean, it can yes it can be changed at any time. State that and, louder. <laughs> it For can the people be. in the back. <laughs> it can be. It can be. And parents, you are your child's greatest advocate. Mm-hmm. You know, you really are. And you might get pushback. Um, And I, I, you know, I think I shared with you gals before when we first started talking, but it it is a, um, it's an interesting uh, balance. And I I have to step back every every now and again and just really check myself. Like, because I have to remind myself that parents, what is their goal? Mm. You know, and I am on their team. Mm -hmm. Like I want to help these parents. I want to help you guys get your kids to their to, full to their fullest. Potential. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's our goal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so when we can keep that bigger picture of we're all in this together. Yeah. You know? Um, that I I just think it just works so much better. Yes. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Of course. Um, yeah. 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 Well, that's, we have a, we have a friend who is an IEP specialist and and coach and, um, that's like one of her biggest things that she talks about is like, yes, you want to be, you know, you want to be in charge and you want to, and you want to advocate for your child and what you really feel like they need. But like, if you can create that, yes, that relationship, everybody is there for this kiddo. Everybody wants the best for this kiddo. Yes. Put your fight in, but at the same time, like they wouldn't be doing the job if they didn't want, you know, what's right. best. Yeah. So exactly. Um, but it can exactly. be hard. It can be you can, you know, as parents, I mean, Brittany will I absolutely probably agree. You get into that, especially early on, you get into that IEP meeting and it's like deer oh, in the super overwhelming. Yes. yes. It's so overwhelming. It's like yes. when you get the diagnosis and they're just like, okay, does that sound good? And you're like, Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And you get this like 30 page document with scores that are saying your child is greater than two standard deviations below the mean. And you're like the mean, like what, what, what? <laughs> I don't like mean things, you know, like, um, and so it's, it's got to be so overwhelming, mm-hmm. you know, having eight people around a table and, mm-hmm. you know, discussing, um, and sometimes teams forget 
Well, I feel thankful. Like our the team I'm on, I feel like is very strength based, and mm-hmm. so we always like really um, celebrate students' strengths. I just I love my team, but um, um, but we just really have to remember that. Like, oh, I just I love these little people, and they have so many you know yes. amazing strengths. Whether they love to color or build mm-hmm. with Legos mm-hmm. or whatever, it's just fun to see those individual strengths. So yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, you know, I'm curious, like if I don't know, but a hot topic right now in the schools and in my world working in the schools is behavior and, mm-hmm. um, behaviors and handling big behaviors. And, um, I, I kind of wanted to touch on that, Brittany, cause you kind of had mentioned, um, shutting down and, um, and I think that, um, and I've kind of in my role in our school district, um, I'm a trainer, um, for our gen ed teachers and for our, and our sped teams as well. Um, Mr. Nick and myself, actually, we, um, train in kind of helping deescalate students, um, using a trauma informed approach, um, called oh. Ukeru. And that's U-K-E-R-U is, uh, the, um, the program that we train in. But Ukeru is just a way of, it's a philosophy um, of training using a non-restraint approach that's very trauma-informed, very compassionate, Mm -hmm. um, using a lot of empathy and introducing the concept of, um, of giving comfort instead of trying to take control. Right. And so so often um, there becomes a power struggle um, between um, an adult and a child who uh, is in distress or is escalated. Mm-hmm. And so we, Nick and I um, have really, I don't know, we both kind of uh, gel well in terms of, um, mm-hmm. in terms of teaching together and working together. It's been super fun and exciting, but it's really impacted my practice and um, just my well, every single interaction I have with kids, it's impacted just that notion of, um, in, of really engaging mm-hmm. with kids mm-hmm. and building relationship. And if you have a strong relationship with a child, oh my goodness. I mean, there's the doors yeah, are open, trust, you know, the trust, there, yeah. um, you can make so much progress. And so, um, I just, you know, if you are looking for an OT or you are, um, you know, dealing with big behaviors, um, really finding someone who, um, is, uh, able to help, um, identify, you know, a lot of times these kiddos who are autistic, they just, they're, they're in there, but we're trying to reach them. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of, um, like play is if you can figure out even just like one little avenue of getting into a child's world through play and just starting to build the the relationship, um, you can help with behaviors so much. In the schools, we see a lot of that control between the mm-hmm. adult and the child because we're a very compliance based yes, education system. It's an institution. It's an institution, <laughs> and we need order. Right. Right. We oh Lord, order. that word sounds scary. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's true. But I'll tell you, since COVID, I've never seen so much mm-hmm. big behavior mm-hmm. in the schools, and I don't know. I think it probably is 
a multitude of factors, but there's a lot more big behavior, sometimes unsafe behaviors mm-hmm. that we're dealing with. Um, and so a really a big role for OT because we are such a mix of, of coming, looking at a child through the lens of the medical model, um, mental health perspective, sensory health perspective. We really get to take this holistic look at the child. And then we are detectives. And I encourage parents, you are a detective for your child mm-hmm. in peeling back that onion of you know what is at the core of this behavior. Behavior is communication. Yes. Yeah. And so oh, being able to, that. and that's really, yeah, that is such a key well, I, I think that's a, a lot of our. Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna sidetrack you again. No, that's a that's lot fine. of our audience. You know, we we as parents, our children have these these behaviors, and when we're out in public, I think this is a part of of isolation. Yes. Correct, Brittany. Like your yes. child has these behaviors, and they're not, and they're just trying to communicate something. But other people see that as like, oh my gosh, what what's wrong with this family? What's wrong right. with this child? Why would they be acting like that? And so then it it just creates that again that that level of like, I don't want we don't want to go out in public. We don't want to be part of you know the typical situations. Right. We, we right. have a hard time making you know friendships with other. Maybe families that are typical, et cetera. Right. So, um, yes. yeah, that's Be- behavior can be a very limiting factor in so many ways. Yes. For a so family. it is, it yeah. is, I hate this word, but it's normal. <laughs> yes. It is normal. It's not my, your child is bad or they're not, they, whatever. It, it is just, it is just a normal behavior. It's, it's a right. normal behavior. <laughs> and be, behavior is communication. And so, you know, it, it's it's so good to, if you can, and this takes practice, but when I'm working with families in private practice, I just really encourage families at that moment of escalation, your goal, and we train, Nick and I train this too, is to calm the amygdala. Do you guys know the yes. amygdala? Yeah. The amygdala is that flight or fight center in the brain. Mm-hmm. And the amygdala starts firing when, you know, we go into like, we're mad. We're in the red zone. We're angry, you know, and a lot of our kids Hard. go whoosh, like yeah. zero to a hundred and like mm-hmm. a, just a snap, you know, before you can even read that it's coming on. And so I always, we always coach calm the amygdala first, then later revisit it. Don't try and discipline mm. right there during the escalation more give that child what they need. Yes, in that moment it might you might in your mind be thinking, but I have to let them know that they can't always get what they want, you know? <laughs> and and there is a balance, right? I mean, like you have to like of course everyone needs to be safe and you you have to handle the situation whatever it is. But in general, mm-hmm. we we want that child to de-escalate as quickly as possible so that they're not living in that heightened state for so long. We want them to develop new neural pathways of being able to get through a situation without getting so high and get some skills and learn to kind of stay, you know, regulated through some bumps and build that neural pathway, get it stronger, get it more robust so that it's more of an automatic response rather than going and jumping on that neural pathway of just going yeah. from zero to a hundred. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. 
Oh, that is so incredible. Can you come to my church, to my special needs and oh uh, my help us do that? Gosh, I do. I would like to come visit. I would. We'll talk about that afterwards, yes, but yes. I yeah. Want when to you come. said that, I was like, I've never even heard. Brittany, have you heard of the, say it again? The amygdala? No. Oh, I love you. Ukeru. Ukeru. Brittany, have you heard of that? I haven't. Um, yeah. I may know that principle and that practice, but I don't. I didn't know that term yeah. or that word. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. and really, it, it's um, a system that's used in schools a lot mm-hmm. um, to support students um, with big behaviors. And then they they provide um, kind of we do some training on physical skills that um, involve use of these kind of big mats, big pads, so that you don't ever put hands on a child because that can yeah. create trauma to put hands on a child. And we do not want to create trauma. You know, mm-hmm. um, when you, you know, lay hands on an escalated child and they withdraw or they pull away or whatever, that is heightening their, mm-hmm. their emotional response. And we, we don't want to do that. And mm-hmm. so this um, training gives a lot of physical skills for helping to deescalate and, and get that amygdala calm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So good. So good. So um, other than, you know, we've, we've talked about some of the, the things you're currently doing as a parent who's maybe starting out in the world of OT, whether that's in the early intervention or maybe starting off in the school setting or, you know, moving to a new school district and starting with a new occupational therapist or something. What are some things that parents should be aware of and be looking for for a good solid, not not just OT, but just a good solid team and and those kinds of occupational therapy practices that maybe are are the best in your opinion or that you feel are right. are being the most effective. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll talk about like just yeah, some of my favorite areas, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I think that the field of OT, it's so uh, you know, it's, it's very colorful. It's, it's fun because it's, it, you can kind of go down avenues that you're drawn to, you know, and like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, and I've been really drawn well in our school district, I work in a behavior program. And so I've been very drawn to that, the, just reading about behavior, um, I, I really am fascinated with it because a lot of our kids, um, they, the idea of self-regulation, that concept, that is a primary occupation in life. And so I, to answer your question, Brittany, um, an OT that's going to really work with, um, you and your child on strategies, like I don't my personal opinion is if an OT is going to take your child, you're going to sit in the waiting room and the OT takes your child back to the session. Mm. Like, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, like, I think you need to all be together. And like, and so I'm always like, um, you know, like the other day at a session, um, dad came. And so, you know, dad, I really like to get the the parent involved and it's not every day that you get data OT, you know? Mm-hmm, and so, mm-hmm. um, and so I really wanted to take advantage of that, you know, and talk about some strategies and how we can say things and model mm-hmm. how we can talk. Mm-hmm. So an OT that's going to bring you into the session and really like be on your team and model things for you. 
like giving you language. I have one mom and she's, she's awesome. She always has her phone out and she's like, okay, wait, how did you say that? Like, (laughs) you know, okay. Your brain and body ready for learning. Okay. Let me put that in, you know, and, but I love it. And then she'll come back the next week and she'll be like, it worked, you know, it worked. And so, um, and so that's really fun, you know, so I would recommend somebody who's going to work with you in that way, like using more of a coaching model, I Mm -hmm. think. Um, I think, you know, anybody, if your child is autistic, likely they have some sensory processing Mm -hmm. difficulties. So you're going to want somebody with a strong sensory background. Mm -hmm. And um, I've done my training through the Star Institute um, in Colorado. There are multiple like places that you can be trained, but Anyways, you can always find on um, the Star Institute, they have like a provider list on their website that you can find people who are trained through mm-hmm. them. Um, but I love Star Institute because they're very play-based in how they, they train and they use a lot of floor time, which I've talked about, the floor time model. Mm-hmm. So they incorporate a lot of play um, through their sensory um, um strat or sensory teaching mm-hmm. um, that I really like. And um, so I, I think finding somebody with a strong background in that, um, I also just think that somebody that you connect with, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> and you I'm don't listening. always get the chance to have somebody that you connect with well, but it's so important, you know, just like in, in occupational therapy school, they talk about your therapeutic use of self. Mm. And, and so, you know, like, like I really try to, um, to culture that well, in myself by keeping myself like healthy at a place like I try and like run in the morning so that I feel like ready and for my kids and yes. just like in a good place. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I just think about my little kiddos that I serve and that I work with a lot. And, um, and so it just gives me joy when I go work with them and when I interact with families. So just finding that person that you feel that connection with is mm-hmm. really important. Mm-hmm. Do, really quickly, do you have, um, like if there's somebody who is doing private OT with you, mm-hmm. um, but their child is maybe in, you know, the school, in a school yeah. district, yes. um, do you try to work with the? Uh, yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. So I do that, I would say most with private schools, just because the private school doesn't have an OT, OT, you know, so families that I see privately that go to private school, I, I work closely with. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it depends on if, if the family is, re- if the child's receiving therapy in the schools, then I generally, I mean, the school therapists, cause in my area, I know all the school therapists and they're all awesome and yeah. good. And, you know, <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, you're good. You, you know, got this. And, yeah. Unless they <laughs> signed a release of information and they want us to talk or whatever, um, you know, but generally, um, if the child is not receiving OT, then I'm happy absolutely to give like just strategies. I just type up a list of, you know, the student may benefit from this Mm -hmm. accommodation, this accommodation, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and I think that's really important because, um, you know, there's a shift right now. There's something called the universal design for learning, um, where it's a shift of giving kids who can't show their learning or do their learning in the neurotypical way, mm. rather than making these kids fit into 
that That. neurotypical model. Mm -hmm. Let's give a universal design for learning where there's multiple ways to learn this. There's multiple ways to show your understanding. For instance, flexible seating. Yes. You know, in the schools. There's no reason a child needs to sit at a desk all day. Yes. A child can stand. A child can, you know, I work with a teacher at one of my schools. She has like six different types of flexible seating in her classroom. And it's always like shifting and she's got high tables and she's got bungee chairs and she's got rocking chairs and she's got everything. And her classroom is like a learning laboratory. Everybody is in there and they are engaged and they know what seating works best for their brain and their body. And she's modeled what is safe and what's not safe when you're using it. And everybody knows and it's fantastic. So, you know, um, that's uh, super. I think that is, I mean, that's incredible just for any kiddo, right? Right. Like neurotypical, neurodiverse. Absolutely. Like we live in a in a day and age where everything is, you know, boom, 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 boom. Kids are their brains are not like what, you know, yes. What what we used to be in a classroom. Yes. And not to say even that was a perfect setting, but like it's very different, you know. And so kiddos need that. They need to be able to integrate that movement with also with their, their learning. Their learning. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It is beautiful. Ugh. Yeah. And, you know, some teachers are more up the curve than others Mm -hmm. in adopting those. And we all have to give each other grace because, like, in the schools, it's like, you know, you just know that some teachers, like, they just get it. You know what I mean? It's just in their veins. And then sometimes (laughs) it's not. You know, I mean, we all have individual differences of Mm -hmm. what works for us. And some teachers, like, that would be way too much disorganization to have six kinds of seating, yes, you know? Yeah. And, and kiddos I, moving. And, and kiddos, and, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I get that, yeah. you know? So like, yeah, just like with everything else, you know, you, you have to do what works for you. But, um, but it is a really, um, you know, important in, in the school, when you're working with these kids to be able to get out of this mindset that we have to keep them in our neurotypical model. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just change the face of, Mm-hmm. Of the whole thing, and of not even thing. have it be a you know neurotypical versus yes. neurodivergent. Like this is just this is the new norm. This you know? is the new norm. Ugh. This is what my brain needs. My body needs this. You yes. know. Um. um yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I feel like if 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 more schools and teachers, if that was something that you know they are being taught, if teachers were just being all teachers were being taught in their um, mm-hmm. you know, in their college years to yes. Yeah. Work with, with kiddos who have different learning, right. you know, abilities right. and, um, then that alone would be a huge difference, but that definitely seemed that we're not, we're not this box, you know, society anymore and right. what works for the, you know, the general. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There, there is no one, one, one way for it all. to be done. Yes. yes. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, so this is so good. Gosh, darn it. So yeah. Bad. And I think it's very important to realize too that as you're learning these strategies and these things for your child and and you're finding things that are working and you're making progress and that's wonderful, that it might change. Their Mm -hmm. sensory needs are going to change and shift as they age and, you know, are in a different school setting or having different uh, stimuli come into their lives or, or be absent. 
and that you need to, um, that's, that's what's so great about an IEP and having this team and these people who have been trained specifically in these areas is they should be able to help you make adjustments as you go. It's never like we find this thing that works and that's it. We are good to go forever and ever now. It's going to change. It's going to morph just as we change and grow as we've grown up and yes. become adults and things, their needs for sensory regulation or whatever, whatever that is, stimuli, yeah. it's going to, to change. And so I, I know that may be daunting, like oh, we just figured this out and now I feel like we have to start all over again. No, you're not starting all over again, but you are going to be shifting. So yeah. just keep that in mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's just the beauty of brains and I think it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. It really is mm-hmm. like the idea of, I do, I, I'm so convinced too that like there's so much neuroplasticity in the, in a child's brain, like the ability to shift and change and, you know, grow. And um, so, yeah, just as with like the new learning that comes, you know, there's the, the challenges that are going to creep in, especially like as our kids go from childhood to adolescence and, you know, and not being able to maybe articulate or communicate Mm -hmm. their feelings. And so we might see more behaviors or anything like that, but yeah. And just having a team, you know, that's united and really watching and in tune with your child is a gift. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and being in that team, being, asking all the questions, not feeling, you know, like inadequate as a parent, like you don't right. know, like, no, just like be involved and, and, and be, be yourself hungry to learn and, and want to know, you know, what do you, what are yeah. your ideas? What are your thoughts of how, you know, like you, you're reading my child all day long, you're seeing them, like, what, what do you think are some good strategies that can be not only used in the school, but like, what can we be doing at home for them? And if, even if it's not educationally, you yeah, know, the academic right. portion of it, right. right. You know, absolutely. Um, just so, so important. So important. Like that is always my prayer is that people just have awesome IEP teams, you know, because <laughs> I am so grateful for that. Like, I am so grateful that pretty much Jack's whole, you know, elementary career yeah. so far. We've had just great, a great team, you know, and, um, it yeah. does make a huge difference it yeah. makes a huge and difference. just pro- progress for yourself and feeling confident that you're, you're, you're maybe not doing everything perfectly, of course not, yeah. but, but that you're moving in the right direction. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Vulnerability aspect is huge too, you know, like, yeah. 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 Just being, yep. Yeah. You know, it kind of, um, another, like I'd say, focus that I put on my sessions with families is the idea that as a parent, you're a co-regulator to mm-hmm. your child mm-hmm. and co-regulation. I look at it as being like a co-pilot, you know, you're helping the, the, the plane to fly. Mm-hmm. And when you're a co-regulator, you're always walking next to your child. And I look at it as you're kind of seeing their thought bubble right now, or you're trying to see what's in their thought bubble. And then you might articulate it for them. Like, Hmm, feels kind of scary going into a new place, you know, Mm -hmm. doesn't it? Does it, do you feel like it feels different, Mm -hmm. you know, and just kind of like not, and, and just teaching parents to have that, um, to be willing to be able to stop and think about what their child may be experiencing and to be proactive in that and supporting them through 
these new situations and different situations. And, um, uh, and, and that in helps you to like really get into step with your child as they're starting to go through these changes. Mm-hmm. And so I think the notion of co-regulation, it's really, I mean, really we're all co-regulators to our kids or, I don't know, to our husbands yeah. and, you know, significant others. I don't know. When they're but, amped, we're amped. So yeah. like really it is, it's true. Right, like learning right. to, learning to um, kind of, you know, help to re- read the room, read, read the their room. space, yes. read their energy and, yeah. and, and you as their, yeah. you know, as, as their, their person, as their co-pilot, <laughs> really learning to, okay, I'm, I am, I, my, the way that I am acting in this moment is going to, it's going to. Exactly. It, how am I trying to say that? My you know, therapeutic it's gonna, use of self at yes, that time. Yeah. Yes. It can either elevate the situation or, or it can, you know, um, be therapeutic. It can help yes. to de-escalate. And, 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 and easier said than done sometimes absolutely. when, when, especially when you're early on in, yep. in the journey and, and, you know, meltdowns are happening and you're in a public space and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't handle one more thing. Yes. Um, but, but yes. definitely as the years go by and you are really learning those strategies or just learning about it now and, and trying to implement it is huge. You it know, is it's huge, huge because yeah. they are going to feed off of our, off of our energy and, and yes. opening up that floor of what is this feeling like for you yeah. right now? Because I'm feeling a little bit nervous. And what are, do you need? What do you need? And yeah. that's okay to ask your child that. You're not coddling them or spoiling them. Yes. Um, we want them to know that we are their person. That the safe, it's you a know? safe place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I'm here. I I am I'm not um you you want them to really know that you're on their team in terms of um that will reduce a lot of anxiety. So many of our autistic kids have anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's just so common. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that goes to, you know, as, as some of these autistic children grow into adults and, and kind of the whole masking oh, process, yes. you know, because they have not been able to learn the skills or, or, you know, that there hasn't been the opportunity to say that this is a safe place for for you just to be who you are, whatever that looks like stimming. Yes. You know, whatever you're doing, like that, it is okay. This is not, you know, that needs to be something too in our environment that just really changes. So if you are a neurotypical person, family member, I don't care who you are, like, please remember this. (laughs) <laughs> allow our children to be who they are, you know, yeah. because that teaches them that, that the world is a safe place that, that when they are growing up and they're, and they are becoming, you know, on, on their own and they're in those social interactions, um, or getting into a, maybe a career or some kind of job that, that they can be who they are. Absolutely. You know? And, you know, it just, it, one of those little kind of hot button issues right now is for me (laughs) is this notion of, um, whole body listening. Mm. I don't know if, if you have a child who's in school, um, you may have, you know, you may have had this come up where, you know, speech and, you know, the team is wanting to work on whole body listening and whole body listening is, um, basically, you know, showing the speaker that you hear them. And so in the neurotypical world, how does that look? 
looking at them, look in the eyes, making eye contact. Eye contact. And, oh, now, buddy! If you hear an adult, an autistic adult, give their account of having to look somebody in the eyes, torture. It's torture. Mm-hmm. Torturous. Yeah. And so you know things like that, like having compassion and empathy, mm-hmm. and then being able to change our expectations and our goals and our viewpoints. And that is just one of these shifts that, you know, and I talk about it a lot with our speech therapists because I, you know, we, we go back and forth, but yeah, in a job interview though, what if you, you know, aren't looking at somebody in the eyes or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and so we're grappling with this yet at the end of the day, we don't want to create trauma. Yes. For somebody. Mm-hmm. So that is first and foremost, sir. Oh my gosh. I could go goal. down the rabbit hole with that because yeah. I, I, I mean, early on in, in, you know, Jack's diagnosis and all of that and, and recognizing that he, he didn't, you know, that was one of the biggest things for us that right. he didn't make eye contact. Right. Um, and <laughs> I'm going to shamefully say, you know, as a parent, especially having an, an autistic child and a, and a typical child, um, you know, I, your first reaction, and I think it is just what you've learned from growing up, is um, I need you to look at me. Yeah, <laughs> I need you to look at me. You know, because that, that's what we do. That's the response to like. Then I know you're listening to me, which does obviously does not mean that they're listening to you. <laughs> so one of the things that I've really recognized with Jack is that that is hard. So I don't, I have not asked him that. And while I will say something like, um, if you're listening to me, can you put your hand on my hand? You mm-hmm. know, um, just yeah. different strategies to. Allow him to feel feel yeah. safe, but not you know not, um, but know that okay, this is important, Jack. I need I need yeah, <laughs> I need you to have your listening ears you on. Do you don't have, have to have your eyes present at all, but like please yes. listen to what I'm hearing, you yeah. know, or what I'm saying. So yeah, I mean yeah. we have to be able to communicate. It's just right. finding there the that way. way, yeah, that Ugh. works. Yeah, so good. I love this. Sorry, thank you so much, Sharon, for all of your <laughs> wisdom, and I I going to be using that phrase. You are a co-regulator with your child. I love yes, that. I think that that's so like good. my, I mean, I've taken away a lot of things, but that's really shining for me today. So yeah, we really appreciate yeah. you coming on and we'd love to have a chat with you again, I'm sure. Oh, so. super Absolutely. Fun. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's really fun. You guys are awesome ladies to be um, having this mission for other, other parents and families. It's quite a road, I'm sure. And just having walked it with families going through it, I, I, I have neurotypical children myself, but, um, just, it's been a gift to me because it's taught me, um, you guys just teach me how to, um, love my children well and to, you know, just let them be who they are. Mm. And, um, so it's just really, my my job is my career is such a gift. It's a blessing. So oh, I love when people say that, especially when they work with kids. <laughs> Your kid, yeah. right? And my kid in particularly. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, it has been lovely. Is there so is fun. there any way that if somebody is in this area, um, in the in the you know Vancouver Portland metropolitan area that that they can find you if they are wanting to do. Yes. So um, OT with you. my, um, my business is um, called therapy to grow with the number two in the middle. 
It's all one word. Mm-hmm. Um, so my website is um, www.therapytogrow.com. And my email is sh- Sharon at therapytogrow.com. Um, so I would, I'm happy to take any questions or chat or whatever. You can check out my website and, um, yeah, be delighted to talk. Awesome. 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 We will make sure and put that in the show notes. I've written down a few things like I always do. So if you hear pen scratches in the background, that's just me. Everyone, <laughs> she's she's wrote down a, a million things. I can guarantee you she's going to I'm hold I'm up that a person. Going to be like that's awesome. <laughs> we love her for it. <laughs> that my mom has this um, quote um, I, on her wall, and it says, "And still, I am learning." Oh. And I love that because I think about it all the time. Because mm-hmm. every time I work with a kid, I'm I'm learning. Yeah. So yeah. you guys, oh, I'm learning from you. So I love it. Yeah. Same for me. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, we're so, once again, so grateful you're here. Thank you for sharing with us today. Um, we will definitely have your email in there and other ways for people to contact you if they have questions or they want to connect locally. Um, you can contact us um, at through our email at hello at momstalkautism.com. We have our website, momstalkautism.com. Instagram, momstalkautism. <laughs> just basically momstalkautism, like just kind of stick with that and yeah. you'll find us. That's kind of the best best option. Yeah. Um, and uh, Tosh, do we have time to do a quick peek of the week? Ooh, yes. Ours might be the same, so. <laughs> oh, let's do a joint one. You guys go. Um, well, my peak of the week was going to Lauren Daigle, 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 mm-hmm. Go, going to Lauren Daigle. She is a, um, Christian artist and she is so incredible and so incredible. second time seeing her. And it was just as magical as the first time. Yep. Agreed. I would say that's my peak of the week too. <laughs> Sharon sure. was there as well. <laughs> yeah, we were there. We didn't know each other were there, yes. but it Aww. was pretty fantastic. It was fantastic. And yeah. Filled yeah. my cup for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I just also I'm have jealous. to say a, a peak of my week too. So I have a daughter that's a freshman at Oregon State University and she called me um, and she's been like trying to decide like, do I want to do PT or OT? And she's like, mom, I think I want to do OT. Oh. I'm like, Oh, that's so fun. So <laughs> I hit your little mom kind heart. Of like totally hit my mom. You're like, heart. do what you want. But, I, but that yeah, is so like, incredible. I would yeah, totally love yeah. that. So that was kind of, I don't know. That was just something I was writing in my prayer journal this yeah. morning. Like, that's just super fun. I'm oh, excited. You inspire her. So yeah. Yeah. That's I amazing. It. I love that. that. Yes. Fun. Yeah. yeah. All right, Brittany Britt. Training another excellent occupational therapist, hopefully. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> take care of these kids. I love it. Thank you. Uh, my peak of the week was also kind of OT related and, and sensory regulation. Um, Ruby came home from school yesterday and she I could tell she's a little upset just by her demeanor. We're very in tune with each other. And her little lip was trembling. And I said, hi, is everything Okay. And she said, I just got very frustrated. And I said, okay. So we, I, and for her to be even to communicate that much to me is, is progress. So um, eventually I'll summarize it, but eventually I got the story out that she was in the general ed class, became frustrated. I still don't know what exactly triggered it, but doesn't matter. 
And her special ed teacher came and picked her up and they went on a nature walk together around campus. And they picked up different autumn leaves and they talked about the colors and the shapes. And then after they finished that nature walk, she was able to go back into class and finish up the activity. And that's all she needed. And the fact that it was still bothering her enough that she was upset But by the time she got home, we did our own home regulations to kind of help her like calm down and feel comfortable. She was able to communicate what happened at school today to her. And I didn't get the whole picture. I don't understand everything. I could very easily email the teacher and find out the rest of the story, which I will. But but the fact that she was able to work through that at, at school in the moment, come home and then tell me about it and not get upset again. And then continue on with her day. And we had a lovely afternoon and evening. I mean, that's huge, huge progress for her. Yes. And being able, all those steps, you know. Mm -hmm. And we're just grateful for our team here too in Ruby's class that recognized that she was struggling, took the break, and gave her that time to regulate herself again in a way that was appropriate and that she felt comfortable doing and then rejoined the class. So. All, so all good. wonderful things. Oh, so so okay. good. That's such so, a win. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge win. Like, listen. Yeah. That's awesome. That's oh. a, peak. Like a peak of the month. Yeah. It's a peak Absolutely. of the month. Absolutely. Sure. I mean, when you like uh, can communicate about that and that she was able to like work through it mm-hmm. and like, yes. you know, mm-hmm. with this kind of nice flow. Like you yeah, talked yeah. about earlier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. Oh, it doesn't wow. work out my way, but this time it did. Yes. So we're grateful for <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, and the more yeah. times that repeats, the stronger, stronger. that pathway yes. becomes. Yeah, exactly, oh. exactly. So, so anyway, on that happy note, we're uh, happy we'll note. say goodbye tonight. Today, tonight, it's not nighttime, but maybe you're listening to this at <laughs> night. So, good night, and um, have a great week, everybody. Yes. yes. Goodbye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>